Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is November 16th, 2020. And here with me, as always, is my friend who elects to tell us what's coming up in the skies this week, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Hi, April. Hello, Jen. We are, of course, recording this on the Monday after the U.S. election. Yes, we are. It was quite the wild week, quite the exciting weekend, and here we are. We're still standing. We are. We are indeed. <laughs> there was a lot of counting last week. There was. The counting is still happening, mm-hmm. although Biden has been... Um, Projected as the winner, we should say. There you go. And we want to give a big old salute and shout out to everybody that exercised their constitutional privilege to vote. It was a record turnout, which was very exciting that so many people got out there and made their voices heard. Absolutely. So congratulations to one and all. And you had a really interesting thing to say about Mr. Biden's acceptance speech the other day. There was a line that really caught your ear for astrological reasons. It's funny because I tend to filter things through the lens of astrology. Mm -hmm. And so as I was listening to the acceptance speech, I noticed a couple of things. And one was that Biden had a quote about, and we lead not by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. And that made me think of the U.S. Pluto return. Whenever I hear the word power, I always think Pluto. Do you think that's a good way to tackle that, April? I think that's great. The zeitgeist of the moment, you know, speaks of power and how we will exercise it as a country and what it means for us going forward. So I think that's a good catch. I think that whoever was going to be president during this next term is going to be presiding over this epic U.S. Pluto return. Mm -hmm. Which we talked about in episode 29, Neptune washing overall in the U.S. Pluto return. So folks want to listen back to that, they can. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting invocation of Pluto in that rhetoric. I thought that was a good catch on your part. Thanks. And the other piece about Pluto, I've heard some astrologers sort of equate Pluto to the soul. And I know Biden's campaign was about, quote unquote, the soul of America. Do you equate those two things as well? Not really. I think it's a complicated question. I mean, do you see the soul in a chart in just one planet? Probably not. I don't think you can. It's like no more than you can see, like the life purpose of a person. We might say, well, the sun gives us kind of a snapshot of that. But I don't think you can separate it from the whole chart. I think the whole chart talks about the purpose of a person. And for that matter, I suppose the soul. There was, I was spoke just this last weekend on a conference called Breaking Down the Borders. It's an online conference. And I think one of the lectures actually tackled that idea. I just heard about it in passing of soul and how you see it in the chart. Interesting. If I'm right about that, we will link to it in the show notes because I believe people are still going to be able to purchase those lectures, although the conference has now ended. And I was also telling you that I listened to a lecture by Ann Ortley who was talking about the draconic chart, which Mm -hmm. I won't go into details about, you know, how you get to it technically, but it is directly related to the lunar nodes. And that she made a strong point that that was about a soul's purpose, just for what that's worth. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing I noticed in Biden's speech was that he had another quote, which is, I've always believed we can define America in one word, possibilities. 
And that made me think about Gemini and how the north node of the moon is in Gemini right now Mm -hmm. and how right now, collectively, our purpose is to think about all options and really hear all sides and not close ourselves off to other people's ideas and thinking. Mm -hmm. And so when he said that, it made me think of the Gemini north node right now. Yeah, and I was telling you, too, that in Anne's talk, she used his chart as an example. And in his draconic chart, the sign of Gemini is very accentuated. Yeah, interesting. So, good catch, pal. It's interesting. <laughs> Thanks. Because astrology is all around us. You know, rather than thinking of it as a system that's just, oh, these symbols are on a piece of paper, it's really good to remember that astrology is reflected in everything mm-hmm. around us. Yeah. And we should be able to see if you look at a chart for a moment in time, That's the spirit of that moment in time. You should be able to look around you and see it reflected in some way, however subtle or explicit in the case of a speech like that, that it might be. Yeah. There you go. All right. Big weekend. I think the whole country's a little bit tired and probably ready for a long nap. I know that's how I feel. It's true. Well, and the Big Sky Astrology Podcast has kind of a big month coming up. This is a big month for us, isn't it, April? It is. We can't believe it, but we're coming on one year, our one-year anniversary. One year of the podcast. (laughs) It's been such a strange, squirrely year that it doesn't, in a way, it feels like it's been a lot less than that, and in some ways, it seems like forever. I can't remember a time I wasn't recording with you every Monday. I do remember when we started out that I was recording in the closet of my bedroom to get better sound quality. So it's funny to look back at that. But yes, what is the date that we decided is the anniversary? The first episode was dropped on November 26th, 2019. Our preview was the 21st of November last year. But I sort of think of the 26th as our first. That's sort of our one year to me in my mind. Right. It was Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. We had that Thanksgiving new moon in Sagittarius that we talked about quite a lot. Yeah. So here we are coming up. So we're thinking about what we can do to give you guys something a little bit different and special for that episode to acknowledge everything that we have been through and talked about in the last year. Yeah. I imagine my friend Jen's going to come up with some interesting sound effects to celebrate (laughs) this. We're just going to have to see what she comes up with. You never know. You never know what's under my sleeve. You really don't. And it's so funny when we were doing that, either that first episode or the second or something, and I was talking about the bone chilling 55 degree temperature here in San Diego. And here it is again, it's 55 (laughs) degrees this morning and I'm wearing my stocking cap and my sweater. Uh, Yeah, I know. Been a great year, pal. It has been a great year. Yeah, I've loved every minute of it. Me too. Well, we owe ourselves a big celebration. Absolutely. And our listeners. So, And maybe some pie. Ooh, definitely pie. (laughs) Absolutely. Pecan, man. Pecan pie. Mm, Well, what have we got on our show sheet for this week, Jen? The first thing on our list is Mercury opposing Uranus on November 17th. Mercury's at eight degrees Scorpio, facing off against Uranus across the chart at eight degrees Taurus. Tell us about this, April. What do we need to know? (laughs) My first thought when I looked at this was, again? (laughs) And that's the Mercury retrograde we just finished up with. Yes. Because Mercury has previously been in oppositions to Uranus very recently. On October 7th, which we covered in episode 50, Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) And that had a lot of details about this overall Mercury-Uranus cycle from the time they first met in conjunction. And then on October 19th, they met again while Mercury was retrograde. We discussed that in episode 52. 
a Scorpio season of long shadows and fellowship, which it seems like we just did. Mm -hmm. So Mercury opposed Uranus. You might want to go back and listen to those episodes. But putting it succinctly, I would just say that this is about changes in perspective, innovative thinking and new ideas, unexpected details about things that might come to light. Problems with electronics, which we have both experienced during this never-ending opposition between Mercury and Uranus. And I think generally that gets people into the neighborhood. I looked back to see when the conjunction happened. The conjunction of Mercury with Uranus was on April 30th, 2020, so about six months ago. Mm -hmm. And you can hear about that on episode 23, Talking Taurus and the Void of Course Moon, if anyone's interested. I'm sure everyone's fascinated. They will rush out in an archive rating frenzy to hear that one. <laughs> well, that was an interesting episode because we talked about the void of course moon. Mm-hmm. Right. So if anyone has run across that expression or is a little familiar with it and wants some food for thought there, you can find it in that episode. Indeed. What's coming up next on the show sheet, pal? Next, we have on November 18th, the next day, 11.17 p.m., so it's November 19th, virtually every place else. Is the sun in a sextile to Saturn at 27 degrees and 25 minutes of Scorpio and Capricorn? What I felt about this one was it was about acting with confidence. That's the sun. And that in doing that, we should receive offers or opportunities that could possibly even contribute to an increase in our status or a professional standing with Saturn. What do you think of that? Whenever I think about Saturn, what comes to mind is structure. Mm -hmm. And so that fits with what you're saying, I think. Yeah. The Sabian symbol for the sun at this aspect is the king of the fairies approaching his domain, which if you just listen to the symbol, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, the king of something is a good symbol for the sun. Right. And approaching his domain. So he's coming to the place where he has stature and where he has a certain amount of power. And I was telling you before about a little collage that I made about the Sabian symbol that has a big old cat glaring and wearing a crown's hat and little fairies dancing in front of him. We might have to link to that. I know. It's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. So it makes me smile when I think of the Sabian symbol. And what's the Sabian symbol for Saturn at that degree? Is 28 Capricorn a large aviary? And I wasn't quite sure, except maybe this is, if we think of my little collage with the cat, maybe it's putting the cat amongst the pigeons a bit. You know, we got (laughs) an aviary with all these birds in it. So, (laughs) But a sextile is an exciting aspect, too. Ordinarily, the sun with Saturn's a little bit of a tough sell because they're quite different figures. But they are both kings in their own right, sun and Saturn, representing figures of power and prestige. So having them working together in a sextile sounds kind of promising to me. Mm -hmm. It says that we have an opportunity to find ourselves in situations where we are both able to really shine and be ourselves, but at the same time, be associated with others who are perhaps in a position to help us out professionally with the, where ordinarily we might have been in some conflict, but here because of the sextile, we're able to work together a little bit. Yeah. And both symbols are about where you live. Sort of. The sun is where you live inside yourself. Saturn can be the structures and dwellings and the societal structures even that we have created for ourselves. I sort of have a sense of relief when I think of approaching one's domain that feels like relief to me. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because the large aviary, I think of freedom when I think of birds, but they're caged Mm. in this instance. 
They're confined. That's appropriate for Saturn. Oh. It's like we are contained, you know, by letting ourselves be part of some structure where in some ways our potential for complete self-expression is a little bit constricted, but it's not totally constricted. That would be a conjunction or a square Mm. involving the sun with Saturn. But this is a sextile. It says, hey, you might give up a little bit of your ability to do things exactly your own way. But in return, you get to be part of some kind of structure that is supportive and also aligns you with other people who are in a position of power or position to help you out. Look at you putting all that together. Yeah, and I really didn't have enough coffee before we recorded either, so I'm pretty (laughs) impressed at where this is going. (laughs) Should we pause for you to go get more coffee? No, no, it's perfectly okay. I have water. That's going to get me through. So that's the sun's sextile to Saturn. And then the next day, we have a square to Saturn, this time from Venus. That's on November 19th at 3.28 a.m. Pacific time at 27 degrees and 25 minutes of Libra and Capricorn. When we have Venus square Saturn, we know that we have to work extra hard to get the things associated with Venus. So to make money, to get affection, to be able to socialize. And basically to attract to us what we want. That is Venus's job, is the principle of attraction. Now, we have been building to this aspect, this square to Saturn, ever since Venus entered Libra on October 27th. So if all of these areas of life have felt difficult to you since then, not enough money coming in, feeling kind of lonely from your friends and your family, whatever it is, I think that they're about to get easier. Oh, good. After Venus gets past this square. That sounds nice. Yeah, it really does. And if you have done the work that Saturn requires of us, then you normally get a reward. And that'll be a little easier to see once Venus is past this aspect and getting ready even to move into Scorpio. So this is the closing square of Venus to Saturn. The conjunction happened December 11th, 2019. If anybody wants to hear about that, they can go back and listen to episode three, Gemini Full Moon, Alexa, play we love the one you're with. Boy, that's way back in the archives. Way, way back. And this just came to me as you were talking, April, but I was thinking of this closing square as... Okay, I'm going to pull out an athletic comparison here. Oh, do it. Of baseball. You bet. If the conjunction is everybody's at home base, and then the opening square is first base, the opposition is second base, Venus is sitting at third base, and Saturn is at home base, and she's going to come sliding into home now. The third base coach is waving us in, (laughs) and we got to really put on the steam to get there before we're tagged out, or whatever you call it in baseball. I hope that coach is like Coach Taylor. Oh, Coach Taylor. From Friday Night Lights. That's an excellent (laughs) analogy you've come up with there, my friend. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, I was also noticing the Sabian symbol for Venus, 28 Libra, a man in the midst of brightening influences. And that sometimes you'll see this one worded as a man alone in deep gloom, angels coming to his aid. Might be a bit of hyperbole there. I'm not quite sure, Mm. but I like the nice, simple version of a man in the midst of brightening influences. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, because Venus is those things in life that bring us pleasure. Mm -hmm. And it's been a little bit hard to connect with the social dimension of that while Venus has been in Libra because of the pandemic and various other things. So having it get past that Saturn is going to be pretty nice, I think. Yeah. 
Very good. Mm-hmm. And we also have the sun entering Sagittarius this week on November 21st at 1239 p.m. Pacific time. The sun will be in the sign of Sagittarius until December 21st. The sun's moving from a water sign to a fire sign. Mm -hmm. What else can you tell us about this? Well, I mean, it's interesting. We also have Venus entering Scorpio on the same day. Yeah. Earlier that day, about seven hours previous. So one's leaving Scorpio, one's entering Scorpio. Yeah. So Venus coming into Scorpio, of course, normally Venus, we would say, is at a bit of a disadvantage in Scorpio. It's in the sign of its detriment in Scorpio. Which means she has to work a little harder, right? Yeah. And it's not a bad Venus, but it definitely has a little harder time doing some of the work of Venus. Venus coming into Scorpio this time, however, is I think going to be kind of a relief because Venus will be making generally flowing aspects to most of the other planets in the sky while in Scorpio. And she was making those squares before and now Mm -hmm. we'll have these gentler aspects. Yeah. So the tone of this particular time is that if we are willing to go deep and be soulful and connect with each other on a very authentic level and to be willing to, as we've been saying during the Scorpio season, have the hard conversations, then I think Venus will reward us. I think that Venus will be happiest while in this sign if we are honoring Scorpio's work. Which is what exactly? Well, it's intimacy. You know, I mean, relationships Mm -hmm. which are represented by Libra, generally speaking, will then deepen into a more intimate level because Scorpio is the sign of intimacy and shared resources and all of these things. We might find out more about the people close to us. We might make more decisions about whom we can and cannot trust through December 15th while Venus is in Scorpio. Scorpio is a lot about trust, right? Yeah, and trust has to be earned, you know? Sure, yeah. And it really represents that. So Venus and Scorpio, I have Venus in the eighth house in my birth chart, which is not terribly dissimilar. It says that I find a lot of pleasure and and enjoyment in things that are deep and intense. So for instance, in my home, I like lots of strong color. That's a Scorpio thing. The Venus is generally, you know, decorating or in this case, color. But when you put it into Scorpio, it's like really saturated, really strong emotional responses to people. So it'll be very interesting. And then on the same day, as you said, the sun enters Sagittarius. So we come into this beautiful, bright, sunny, expressive sun in Sagittarius season, a season of journeys in another time when we could travel a little more easily of cultural exploration, of higher education, of gratitude and generosity. Sagittarius season is when we celebrate Thanksgiving in the United States. And it's also when we're preparing for the big festival of Christmas. And both of them having to do with giving thanks and with buying presents for people. So all of these really lovely, bright, happy expressions of Sagittarius. Yeah, or Hanukkah or any of the holidays that folks celebrate during the December month. Right. In the December month in the Northern Hemisphere, it's cold and the days are short and it's, you know, survival is not a given. So it is a time for festivals of light. You know, the days get shorter and shorter. So we have these festivals of light that celebrate that and also give us a chance to buoy each other, to raise each other up, to raise our spirits. 
And so always happy to see the sun coming into Sagittarius. Let's raise our spirits. I'm going to raise a glass of water and I'm going to be a water sprite here and raise my spirits that way. Hydrate, please. Hydrate. Venus and Scorpio. Exactly. We all got to stay <laughs> hydrated here. <laughs> Don't drink swamp water, though. No, I promise I won't. <laughs> Which I sort of think of with Scorpio. Swamps, right? Ooh, no, no. no. Well, just it would like be... it's kind of the murky depths, right? So I think of a swamp. Still waters that run deep. I don't mean it in a bad way. Well, now look, you've got Venus and Scorpio. Sure, I do. Yeah. I consider you our voice from the realm of Venus Scorpio, so you may describe it in whatever terms feel appropriate to you. You would know it. Well, I like Scorpio. I do too. And we're all going to love it as Venus is in Scorpio through December 15th because where Venus is talks about the things that we're liking, that we're enjoying, that are bringing us some pleasure. What kind of a store does Venus go to when she's in Scorpio? Oh, Venus goes to one of those shops that we're not supposed to talk about in polite society. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We have a lot of those in the neighborhood near here. No, no. Venus goes to a cafe and just has a real deep conversation with someone, maybe. That's an excellent way to think of it. Yeah. I'm not sure what I said in my book, because I set that up for Venus in my book. I don't know what I said about Scorpio. Victoria's Secret. Okay. Yeah. yeah I think mm -hmm. that would be a good Scorpio shop. That would be. Yeah. Indeed. Well, you would know. What shops do you go to if you... you I well, You shop. hate them all. You're like me. You hate to shop. So, yeah. I don't shop. No. I try to avoid it if I can. Oh, man, I'm with you on that one. Uh, and finally this week? April. Yes, Jen? Do you know what time it is? What time is it? Moonwatch. Moonwatch. <laughs> Play it. <laughs> Mixed it up. Look at us keeping it fresh. Look at us. After a whole year, we could still surprise each other. We could still do Mercury opposed Uranus with each other. Totally, yeah. This week brings us a first quarter moon at zero degrees and 20 minutes of Pisces on November 21st at 8.45 p.m. What does that mean with the moon at a zero degree of the sign? Well, we did talk about that in an episode that we referred to last week. We did. It was the Venus plus Pi episode, yeah. 0 to 29 degrees of separation. Yeah, we will link to that in the show notes because we had quite an extensive discussion. It was a slow news week, and I remember us talking about the 0 and 29 degree thing. So with 0 degrees is usually, it's like a newborn that isn't quite sure how... Yeah. <laughs> Exactly so. <laughs> so with the first quarter moon, we're supposed to move forward and do something, anything. And the zero Pisces says we really have no idea what direction we're moving in or exactly what we're going to accomplish. But Pisces is a sign that is move forward in the direction that feels intuitively correct. Go with the flow, you know. Yeah, because Pisces is very much about intuition, uh -huh. of all the signs, probably. Yeah. The moon in this chart is trine Venus, which is also, it's just at zero degrees of Scorpio, and is sextile Uranus. So it's a pretty happily situated little moon at the last quarter. How would we read that exactly? I think the way I would probably read it is the moon and Venus together are about pursuing what feels intuitively right, also what we enjoy. And also that the relationships that we are in are probably going to be important in this stage of the lunar cycle of moving forward. I mean, cutting to the chase, I would say, hey, getting together with friends and 
doing something. And also the moon in this chart is sextile Uranus, which is kind of nice too for changing things up as we just did in our intro and for not letting ourselves get too comfortable. And I think that's true of Pisces too. Pisces likes to do things as they feel are right at the time. So it's not about having a set goal necessarily or agenda. I'm not talking about Pisces people who can be very focused, but rather just the idea of the sign that it's about sort of floating downstream. Also in the chart for the first quarter moon, we have the sun at zero degrees of Sagittarius still in a lingering out of sign sextile to Saturn. Can you talk about that a little bit? What an out of sign aspect means? Mm -hmm. You've talked about the elements, episode 36, if folks want to refer back to that, a mini class for the dog days, elements and modalities. Right. How do we interpret a planet connecting to another planet when it's out of sign? So here's the deal. And let's take an example. It's going to make it easier to explain. So we have the sun in Sagittarius. It's at zero degrees of Sagittarius. It's just moved into the sign. It is a fire sign. And normally, sextiles to something in a fire sign are going to be found in air signs. So it's going to be Libra or Aquarius. So when I say it is in an out-of-sign sextile to Saturn, I'm looking at Saturn at 27 degrees and a half of Capricorn. And we think, well, that's not one of the signs that should be in a sextile with a sun in Sagittarius. But the reason it is is because of orbs. Orbs are how much squoosh room we give outside the exact aspect between planets. The exact sextile to the sun at zero degrees would be zero degrees of Aquarius in this case. And Saturn's a couple of degrees off of that. It's a little behind it. So as we recall, the sun squared Saturn when it was going through Libra, and it made a sextile to Saturn just recently when it was in Scorpio. But it's like it's just moved past the point where that sextile was exact. It's like they want to get along because it's a sextile, but there's a little awkwardness there Mm -hmm. because it's a fire sign with an earth sign, which normally they don't go together. Mm -hmm. Basically, the sun is past the aspect to Saturn and moved into the next sign. So there was a lingering connection. The aspect between them when the sun was in Scorpio was a sextile, which is kind of a friendly interaction. And let's imagine that one of the planets said something to the other about, "Mm," you know, an idea that they had, and maybe we should try that at some point. And they didn't actually bring it to a resolution, but the question, the, the idea is still just sort of hanging out there in the air. It hasn't been completely resolved because they're still within what we call orb. And depending on which astrologer you ask and what planetary aspect you're referring to, they might use a very narrow orb. It's like, well, once it's two degrees past being, you know, exact, that's it. It's all over. Some will use a wider and more generous orb, which I generally do. The idea is When the aspect is approaching, so when the sun was still at, say, 26 degrees of Scorpio, and it was still just about to complete that sextile aspect to Saturn, that's when it's at a really strong point. And then after it's past it, it's still kind of connected. You can still see each other. You're walking away from your friend, but you can turn around and still wave at each other. You're just about a block from each other, and you can still see each other and wave. So these two can still see each other. 
and they're still waving, but one is moving away from the other. And in this case, it's the sun moving away. It's like when there's skywriting with an airplane in the sky, and it's completed its phrase, and then it's done, but you can still see the tail streaming a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Or when you walk out of the bathroom, you have a piece of toilet paper on your shoe. <laughs> it's very similar. <laughs> it's still lingering, you know? So that's what's going on. And the reason I even make a point of it is any relationship between the Sun and Saturn. Again, you know, we talked about it earlier this episode. That was the sextile on November 18th. That was act with confidence. You could get offers that could increase your status. Well, at this point, the sun has moved past that aspect, and it has probably had some invitations and some opportunities, and it's not too late to act on them, but it's getting there. And maybe now that it's in a fire sign, it'll want to act on them more. Very possibly. Or its interests have changed toward another direction, and it might not be interesting anymore. So that aspect is still showing up in this first quarter moon. It's saying, well, maybe this is the time, you know, as you say, mm -hmm. to act, because the first quarter moon's about acting, to act and take some initiative on something that came your way on the 18th, some piece of information or correspondence or a question or an offer. The opportunity is not lost yet. Not yet. But the window of opportunity is narrowing. I would keep an eye on Mars in this first quarter moon chart because it's mm. direct now. Okay. And in the weeks to come, it is headed for a square with Pluto, which will be exact on December 23rd. So that will be building all month? Mm-hmm. Mars-Pluto is always a pretty combustible combination. And either a conjunction or a square I find is particularly powerful and potentially disruptive between Mars and Pluto. So we... We will see. I think that we're in for um, an interesting time of it over the rest of November and moving up towards especially the solstice, the winter solstice, which is a really big day. And we'll remind everybody of our big solstice episode that will be coming up for donors. We'll tell you more about that later. And other than that, not a bad little first quarter chart. It sounds like the things that we want to move forward to, we have a lot of support to do that at this time. Very good. All right. Well, Jen, that seems to be everything we have on the show sheet. Have we done it? We've done it. We've pulled it out of the oven and we're having a slice. Mm, that sounds good. <laughs> I did make a loaf of sourdough bread this morning that I'm dying to cut into. You did. Oh, Yum. So stinking good. So good. Well, thanks to all of you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you enjoy what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe. You can also rate and review the podcast, and we hope that you'll help us spread the word by telling a friend. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. We are grateful to everyone who showed support during our September Podathon. Each week, we're going to be thanking one of you by name. Who do we have this week, pal? This week, we want to give a Big Sky Astrology Podcast shout out to Aeolia Burwell. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I think it's Burwell. It could be Burrell. But it's Aeolia. That I know because it's a most fascinating name. It is interesting. We really appreciate you. Yes, and thank you so much. We really want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for being so supportive, donating to the Podathon. Thanks for listening, Aeolia, and thanks for contributing to the podcast. We really appreciate that. 
If you're a listener who didn't get a chance to support us during our podathon, you can always make a donation at our website, bigskyastropod.com. If you donate $5 or more, we'll invite you to the special episodes for the equinoxes and solstices, which of course includes that exclusive invitation for our upcoming December 21st solstice episode that we were just talking about. That it does. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for us this week. Join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us and we'll catch you next time.